Well, if you have your Bibles, let's uh, get into the Word of God and see what kind of trouble we can get into. And Praise God, I love the Word, don't you? This is a Word of Faith, Spirit-filled church. You know that, right? <laughs> we, we do believe in the Word of God. We do believe in the Holy Ghost. We believe in His demonstration. We believe in His operation. We believe that He really has given the ability to human beings to be able to demonstrate the kingdom of God and to be able to live in the kingdom of God and be able to make a change and make an effect in the earth and to turn, as it were, roll back the authority and the ability of Satan in the earth. Aren't you glad that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to pull down strongholds in our lives? I thank God for the move of the Holy Ghost. I thank God for the gifts of the Spirit. I don't know about you, but every day I wake up and I say, Father, thank you for the reality of the Holy Spirit in my life. You are more than just tongues. You're more to me than just a language that I didn't learn. You're more to me than just a language I didn't study for. You transcend and supersede my ability, my strength, my, my capabilities. And I thank God we're not ashamed of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Well, we're a Word of Faith, Spirit-filled church, and we do believe that as we worship God, that His Spirit is free to come and move and operate in His fullness. Amen? We believe that He's, he's free to move and to operate in His fullness, to build and to encourage and to comfort the body of Christ. We used to say this the first Sunday of every month. I don't know why we got away from it. We used to read this and make a declaration. We should probably do that again. This is your mission statement. Put it up, Daniel. Is it even there? I'll read it to you. We are a word of faith, spirit-filled church. And as we worship God, His Spirit is free to operate in His fullness to build and encourage and comfort the body of Christ. As we teach the full counsel of God's word, it brings men into the understanding of who they are in Christ. And through this revelation of who we are in Christ, we are equipped to minister the love of God to the world. I think that's a good mission statement. I mean, I'm partial. But I'd, I'd like it. <laughs> Amen. Never get away from this. I, I, this is, I'm not, I'm just, I believe I have a direction from the Lord. I'm not stalling. But I, I don't ever get away from, never, ever, ever get away from the reality and the, 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 the wonderful truth of the fact that you have been spirit-filled. Don't ever be ashamed of the Holy Spirit. Don't ever be ashamed of the move of the Holy Spirit. Slap people who are goofy and stay straight. <laughs> Amen. I've never ever in my whole entire life watched someone pray in tongues and have their eyes roll back in the back of their head. Never, not ever. But I've seen the devil attack somebody and bring them into a, a convulsive state and I've watched God drop their eyes back into their head where they were supposed to be by the power of the Holy Spirit. I've never seen someone get goofy and weird and writhe around and slither around on the floor like a snake being filled with the Holy Spirit. But I've seen people hit the dirt. That was a little louder than I thought it was going to be. Hit the dirt and watch them get up totally changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm not ashamed of the Holy Ghost. Hey, praise God. All right, let's take up an offering and go home. All right, well, they'll do it. You're here. You might as well get some more done. I just gave you a ton. Let's take a look at some things that Jesus accomplished for us from the, from the time that he was on the cross until the time that he was ascended back into heaven and seated at the right hand of the Father. I want to show you four major aspects of atonement. 
This is what the Lord started dealing with when we were in worship. Four major aspects of atonement. It is absolutely imperative that every Christian, I don't care if you're 50 or if you're five minutes old, if you're a Christian, you need to know the, these aspects of the atonement. Because if we don't understand them, if we don't use them in our life, if we don't receive from them and, and gain the benefit of, of having them in our lives, then we will live a powerless life. Even if we're filled with the Holy Spirit. The last thing I want to do is, power, is pastor powerless people. And I'm sure that the last thing that you want to do is be a powerless Christian. Right. Amen? I believe that the world has enough powerless people in the earth. We need to have some people who have uh, the ability to bring the answer into humanity's every need. I'll say that again because I'm preaching good already. We, we need to have some people who have the ability to bring the answer into humanity's every need. This is not religion. This is not tradition. This is the kingdom of God. We're living in it and we're demonstrating it. Amen. Four aspects of atonement. Substitution. Write it down. Substitution. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left his filthy stain, but he washed me white as snow. Substitution. Jesus paid it all. He went for me. He went for the world. There's not a single thing left undone. There's not a single thing that I can do. He paid the price. He became sin for me. He became sickness for me. He became the epitome of the fall of man and the fallen nature. He tasted spiritual death and he died on the cross. A physical death. I believe absolutely that the Bible teaches, and you can argue with me about this if you want to, just don't do it right now. I believe that Jesus went to hell, and I believe that Jesus died there spiritually. I believe the Bible proves it. If he didn't die in hell spiritually, then you and I have to go there and die in hell spiritually. There had to be a resurrection from the dead spiritually and naturally, or else we are men most miserable with no hope of a resurrection. He had to become just like us so we could become just like him. So he went into the devil's hell. And he paid the price for all humanity, and he suffered there. And at the point that humanity was justified, God raised him up from the dead, according to the book of Romans. Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead. Well, that's not true. If we're talking about natural death, that's just simply not true. We have Old Testament examples of people being raised from the dead. We have gospel Interperiod, as it's called in theology, testimonies of Jesus raising people up from the dead. That's just not true. If Colossians says Jesus is the Colossians one says the firstborn from among the dead, that can't be true if we're talking about physical death. Just saying. Everybody, everybody say substitution. That substitution created sanctification. This is still the first point. Our major aspects of atonement. We have to know what sanctification really is. And it's not a second work of grace, as some people have said. There's no, there's no mention of the Bible with a second movement or, or work of grace to sanctify us. We've been sanctified when we've been born again. Amen? Some of you may have come from a holiness, holiness movement background. I did. I'm fine with being holy. I'm fine with living holy, and I'm fine with that. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit doesn't come upon me to sanctify me. Salvation comes into me to sanctify me. When I receive Jesus Christ, I am set apart 
I'm redeemed, amen, because of his substitutionary work, and I'm sanctified. I'm set apart for a holy purpose unto God, amen? Second thing that we have to understand, we have to see the four major aspects of atonement is ransom. There was a substitution that came, and there was a ransom that was offered. Ransom. The third aspect of our atonement is the blood. All things that have to do with the blood. Blood's not for me, it's for God. The name is for me, given to me. We see over and over again in the name, through his name, through faith in his name, because of his name, over and over and over again. Of course we plead the blood and that's our only plea before God. But if I want you to be safe, I don't plead the blood over you. I speak the name of Jesus over you and I command the angels of God over you because that's what the Bible says. If I want you to have peace in your life, I don't plead the blood for you to have peace. I speak the name. Amen? So yes, for salvation, we plead, hey, there's blood in heaven. It's paid for me. It's atoned for me. It's, it's availed for me. It's prevailed for me. And it's bought me salvation. So when I come into Christ, I plead, hey, I, I receive the forgiveness of my sin because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And I receive it in Jesus' name. The moment I'm saved, I've been deputized and given the ability to be able to use his name. And I have the responsibility. Everybody say responsibility. I have the responsibility to use his name. It moves past just the opportunity to or the ability to, but I've, I've moved into a responsibility. When you came and offered a sacrifice in blood for your sin to the priest, it wasn't for you. It was for God. God requires a sacrifice of blood. The blood is offered up to God. In the fourth aspect of atonement is the love of God. The love of God. You have substitution, which brings sanctification. You have ransom. You have the blood. And you have the love of God. These are the major aspects, not the only aspects, but these are the major focal points, the major aspects, the major parts, as it were, that comprise and bring us, pay for our sins, the atonement that we have. Did you know that the heathen today is not under the law any more than you today are not under the law? Jesus put an end to the law one time forever. Romans says Jesus is the end of the law. So we've been redeemed from the curse of the law. That's part of our atonement. We've been ransomed by God. We've been purchased by God. Mark chapter 10, Matthew chapter 20, and 1 Timothy chapter 2... Jesus said the Son of Man must offer his self. He did not come to serve, but to be served, excuse me, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He said that in Mark 10, Matthew 20. And then Paul, speaking of Jesus, 
in 1 Timothy chapter 2 says, Jesus, there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, who gave his life a ransom for many. We see substitution. We see that Jesus came to pay for us. We see that he came and, and God, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, tells us that God put upon him, caused him, God, he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin. He had never been familiarized with it personally. God caused him, he made him who knew no sin to actually physically, literally become sin for you and for me and for the world. It would be error for us to say Jesus took upon himself the sins of the whole world because he really didn't take upon himself the sins of the whole world. He physically became sin and God destroyed sin in his body. There was a physical, supernatural, literal becoming of sin. It wasn't put to his account. It wasn't put to his credit. He didn't say, oh, look at him. He's a sinner now just like everybody else. No, he became the, ton the, 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 the total sum of what sin is, and God destroyed sin in his flesh. That's what the Bible says. And he forgave my sin. John says he, he, he forgave you your sin. He forgave the whole world their sin. Are you here? He became sickness. He became disease. He became the epitome of the fallen nature of mankind. And then God, not the Jews, not the Romans, not the devil, God destroyed his flesh. Isaiah chapter 53 says God destroyed him. Now it's important for us to understand this because we, we, we need to know, doctrinally speaking, Jesus, Galatians gets you confused because Galatians says he was born of a virgin, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law. And that's talking about a time frame. Jesus was born in the time frame of the rule and the reign of the law, but he himself was not under the law because he had never fallen and had no need of the law. So Romans, again, Romans says he was born of a virgin, he came was born under the law. Well, that doesn't mean he had to keep it. He broke it all the time. He didn't keep the law. He broke the law. Often. You do remember that, right? He said, it, it might not be lawful, but I don't care. We're doing it anyway. Called people hypocrites. Said, you, you, if you had a beast in the ditch, you wouldn't go get him on the Sabbath day, let alone this woman here needs to be healed. This person needs to be healed. You tell me I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm going to do anything I want. Your law doesn't apply to me. All right. So it's important for us to understand that Jesus really had never sinned. He really was not under the law. He really was able to just walk around on planet Earth apart from having to keep the law because he had never sinned. Well, Paul, the apostle, tells us in the letter to the church of the Christians in Rome, he said, hey, this is how sickness came. This is how death came. It came because of sin. So we think, well, the Jews turned Jesus over to the Romans, and the Romans just did what they did professionally, and they crucified Jesus and killed him. Jesus still be hanging there today if God didn't make him sin. He could not die. Well, how do I know that? Because the Bible tells us in the very beginning, in the are you bored tonight? I can preach something else if you want. I hope this is helping you. We need to, we need to have these things as first nature, not second nature. We need to be able to make a stand and give an account for what we believe and why we believe it. 
Amen. The Bible tells us in, 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 in the very beginning, in, in, in Eden, the Bible says, God speaking to them said, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. You'll surely die. And I've heard people teach this before, and it's true, that that word literally means die, die. You'll die spiritually, and you'll be in the process of naturally and physically dying. This is true. Jesus didn't eat of this fruit. He never tasted of sin. He never partook in sin. So literally speaking, if God would not have caused Jesus to become sin, there would not have been the opportunity for his body to physically die. Nor would he have to have spiritually died or could have because there was no sin. There was no breach of Zoe. And God came to restore that to whosoever will call on his name. He came to restore Zoe to us, the life of God, the nature of God, the, the kind of life that God has. Are you here? So we know we have a substitutionary sacrifice. We know that Jesus came once, the Bible says, for all, and he offered himself for our sins. He said of himself, the Son of Man, Matthew chapter 20, Mark chapter 10, the Son of Man, he didn't come, I didn't come to, to be served, but to serve. And to give my life a ransom for many. And then Paul's telling Timothy, hey listen, there is one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, who gave his life a ransom for many. And then again, we have the idea of the teaching, the, the doctrine of the blood. Hebrews chapter 9, if you're taking notes, tells us it wasn't with the blood of bulls and goats. It was with his own blood he entered into the holy of all, offered one time for all man. He offered up his blood on the mercy seat of God. God accepted his sacrifice. And we got atonement. Amen? The blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus is paid for our sin. God required blood. Jesus said, I'll give it. I'll give it one time for all humanity forever. And I'll give them the right to be sons and daughters of God. I'll give them the right to be able to use the name of Jesus. The Bible tells us in Hebrews that because of the sacrifice that Jesus did, by inheritance, God gave him a name that's more excellent than any other man, any other person, any other human, any other authority or power or dominion. By inheritance. He inherited because of his sacrifice. He inherited it because of his obedience. He inherited it because of what he endured and what he paid. Follows up with what God said in Isaiah chapter 53. Hey, I'll, I'll, I'll make your name great. Didn't he? He said, I'll make your name great. Everybody's going to be coming back to me because of your sacrifice. Everybody's going to come back to me because of your life that you gave. And then the love of God. God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever shall call upon him, believe upon him, and receive him should not perish, but will have everlasting, eternal, everlasting, eternal life. What manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. He says, beloved, now we are the sons of God. And he's got not known what we shall be, but this one thing we know. When we see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. 
the love of God. The love of God. Jesus paid from the cross to the throne for the sins of humanity. Hebrews 9, Ephesians 1 says we've been redeemed through his blood. With his own blood he offered up sacrifice of himself. He paid for our deliverance, deliverance from the kingdom of Satan. Colossians chapter 1 says that we have been delivered out of the kingdom of darkness and translated, transferred into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Amen. We have redemption through His blood. He paid for it on the cross. We have deliverance from the kingdom of darkness. We have deliverance from demonic oppression we have deliverance from sickness we have deliverance from disease we have deliverance from discouragement we have deliverance from any unclean thing amen we have freedom paul says to the church in galatians chapter 5 verse 1 he says hey stand in the liberty with which christ has made you free do not be entangled again but stand in the freedom stand in the liberty stand in that deliverance stand and that enjoy that freedom. He says that we've it's for freedom that we've been set free. Amen. We're no longer slaves of bondage, but he set us free. Amen. He set us free. And he paid for us healing. Every time, all the time, always. No matter what we think, no matter what we feel. Jesus has paid for healing for humanity. And we know without a shadow of a doubt, sickness and disease are a result of sin entering into humanity. That doesn't mean that you're cold as a demon. We just know that the cold came from the devil. Like all colds. The flu didn't come from God. It's a result of fallen nature. Turn to Isaiah chapter 53, if you would. You okay tonight? We're just talking, but I think I'm helping you. I hope I am, at least. Isaiah chapter 53. We're just going to read the whole thing. So, hunker down, buckle up, whatever. It says, Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he has grown up before him as a tender plant and, out of the root of, and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. In the 52nd chapter, the prophet Isaiah says that his servant will be marred He says that people, verse 14, just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths at him. For what had not been told them, they shall see. And what they have not heard, they'll consider. 
who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and we shall see him, and there is no beauty that we should desire him. I think Mel Gibson did a pretty decent job with the Passion of the Christ, but according to my Bible, I can think of something more gory. I can think of something worse. He said his visage was marred more than any other, more than the sons of men. I'm not trying to be crude, I'm not trying to be gross, but literally speaking, Jesus' physical body was dismantled, destroyed. And that's just what the Romans did. Imagine what sin did to his body. Imagine every sickness and every disease coming and just... God said, I'm going to kill sickness and disease. I'm going to kill sin. I'm going to defeat the devil. I'm going to disarm Satan. I'm going to dethrone his ability to be able to have dominion over any human. The Bible says that the earth turned black. Jesus cried out, why have you forsaken me? He didn't just die a little peaceful death. I mean, we all know that. But the Bible says there's no beauty that anyone would even desire him. Verse 3, he is despised and rejected by man. He's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquity. And the chastisement for my peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. The Lord, not the Romans, not the Jews. The Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. The Lord. He caused him who knew no sin to become sin. The Lord has laid upon him all of humanity's iniquity. Second Corinthians 5.21 says he caused him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living, and for the transgression of my people he was stricken. And God made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Because he had done no violence. The word they, verse 9, literally says he, capital H. It's Elohim. God made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord. Pleased the Lord. To bruise him. Paul says in Colossians, it pleased God that in him all the fullness should dwell. And it pleased God that in him all the fullness should dwell. Please the Lord, verse 10, to bruise him. He was put to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed and he shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. 
for he shall bear the iniquity. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with a transgression. He bore the sin of many. He made intercession. He took the place for. He substituted for the transgressor. Jesus has paid the price for our sin, for our sickness, for our peace. He's paid the price for the fall of humanity. And God in Christ has reversed the curse, the, the curse of the fall, the curse of the law, the, the curse of being removed from God. Again, if you're taking notes and scribbling these things down, Jesus paid for our redemption with his blood on the cross. He paid for our deliverance from the kingdom of darkness. He paid for our deliverance from sin, sickness, and disease. He paid for our deliverance from demonic oppression, depression, and oppression, possession. He paid for our freedom. He led captivity captive. He said, you're free. Free to go. Amen. He paid for our healing. With his blood. As a substitution. Because of his act of ransoming us. And because of the love of God. Amen. I want to just say a couple more things if I can. I got about four minutes. We're going to have a evangelism team meeting. We're going to start at 10 o'clock on Saturday. And we're going to come and we're just going to talk about some practical things. I want you, if you don't get anything else, I want you to take away this statement. You go back and you look at the Great Commission. Go back and take a gander. Just take a peek at what Jesus commanded us to do. And see if you can see as well that we are absolutely as responsible to demonstrate the kingdom of God as we are to proclaim it. It's an absolute commission. I'm going to say it again. Because we can, we can come up with formalities, we can come up with methods, we can come up with ABC and one, two, three ways, and, and there are denominations that have done fantastic legwork for us to be able to use their methodology, to be able to use their structure, and there are people that, you know, they, they can bring about uh, a good way for us to be able to f systematically, with a formula, be able to proclaim the gospel. It's my humble opinion that the only way you can demonstrate it is by the person of the Holy Spirit. And we are as responsible to demonstrate it, every one of us, as we are to proclaim it. So we have to allow these truths of what God has done for all of humanity to get beyond our mind. And to really become alive on the inside of us and in our spirit so that way we can understand Jesus has already done this as the substitutionary sacrifice of God for all humanity. What has he done? He's paid for our redemption. For all humans, every one of us, already did it. He did it how? By ransoming us. He did it with his blood. He did it with the love of God. He paid for our redemption. For everybody. 
And if we are to be free, then ought not those who are in bondage to be free? Amen? He paid for every human being to be delivered. Delivered from the kingdom of darkness. Delivered from sickness. Delivered from disease. He paid for every human being. Well, I just don't believe that God still does that. Well, you just need to get a Bible. And with all due respect, we really don't care what you believe. We'll help you if you want to learn. But you, as much as I love and respect human beings, they don't get to change God's word for me. You're, my, <laughs> my experiences don't get to dictate the truth of God's word for me. Certainly yours don't. Let me say that again because that's important. I said my own experiences don't get to dictate to me the truthfulness of God's word. It's certainly no disrespect, but your experiences aren't going to change what I believe. Mine don't. I appreciate you, love you, want to be your friend, want to hang out with you and be buds. But your opinion on God's word doesn't, I don't care. I'm not saying this to you. I'm saying this as a whole. We don't care about people's opinion of the word of God. We believe the word of God, don't we? Well, I just don't think that God does that anymore. Well, that's fantastic. What, all, what other stupid things do you believe? You believe in the boogeyman? <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? That's fantastic. You believe in aliens and UFOs too? I mean, there's other stupid things you can believe in just because you don't believe in God still doing his word. But the point is, is that we have this responsibility, according to the Great Commission, to go out and to preach the gospel and to demonstrate the gospel. And the only way we can demonstrate the gospel is by bringing the person of the Holy Spirit on the scene. And the only way we can truly get the Holy Spirit moving on the scene and operating in these people's lives through us is to understand not only for ourselves, but for all of humanity. Jesus has substituted himself as a supreme sacrifice for all humanity one time for all. He, by his blood, has offered up his own self and given his blood. He's ransomed many, 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 many by his blood. He has given us the blood of Jesus, his own blood, placed on the mercy seat where we have an approach and ascend to God through his name. And he's demonstrated the love of God to us. He has brought redemption for all humanity, paid for it already, paid in full. He has brought deliverance for all humanity. He's already paid for it. He has brought freedom for all humanity. Already it's been paid for. And already he has brought healing for all humanity. If we really want to do the New Testament, if we really want to do the New Testament, we have a responsibility to demonstrate God's kingdom and proclaim his gospel. So that, in a nutshell, is what my heart is for the evangelism ministry. And we'll glean from formulas, and we'll glean from systems, and we'll glean from... But we're going to do this the Bible way, and we're going to just trust that God's big enough to bring fruit in because we, had, we're, we're, we were daring enough to believe him. Amen? You don't have to be a part of the evangelism team to evangelize. But you ought to be a part of the evangelism team because you're a Christian. And there is my advertisement. Anybody want to buy in right now? Just that sold. It's important. These things didn't just 
come to us, they came to the whole world. Amen? Amen. Jesus gave his life to ransom many. Did you get anything out of tonight? Did you learn anything about the atonement? There are four major aspects of the atonement. Do you remember what they are? Substitution. What did Jesus pay for you and for me and for the whole world? Redemption. Deliverance. Freedom. Healing. That's, that's, that's good as gospel right there. Father, thank you for the reality of what you've done. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your life. Thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, if we keep preaching sermons like this, we're going to change everything. So we're just going to keep doing it. Say this with me tonight. Say, I receive, I receive the, substitution the substitution and the sanctification, the sanctification of, the of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. Lord, we receive it from you. We receive it from you. Thank you, Father, that everything that we have need of, your hand has provided. Great is your faithfulness, Lord, unto me.